Hello, and welcome to episode 48 of My Circus, My Monkeys. Today, we're going to talk about a supervisor's biggest problem. That is the thing that gets in your way most often in the supervisor role. We're going to talk about what it is and what to do once you figure out what's really getting in your way. So stay tuned. You're listening to My Circus, My Monkeys, the podcast for supervisors in education or any field that emphasizes growth and development. If you want to reign in the chaos and transform your team to better serve your students and clients, keep listening. This podcast explores essential information on supervision, employee engagement, and using a strengths-based framework to empower you and your team. We'll examine the latest research in psychology, neuroscience, education, and beyond to help you and your team get to the next level with your host, Ann Brackett, the Chief Engagement Officer of Strengths University. Scylla Whatcott said, it's not about the problem, it's about your relationship to the problem. Similarly, Ann Brashears says, your problem isn't the problem, it's your attitude about the problem. Now, both of these quotes go to the heart of what we're going to talk about during this episode. So before I tell you what your biggest problem is, I want to give you an example from myself. So when I worked on campus, I didn't really have to sell anything. Of course, I did different programs and different activities, and I wanted students to be involved and be engaged in those things. And so I would do flyers and I would send out emails and that sort of thing. But working on campus, we don't really think about sales as part of our job. So when I left campus to start Strengths University, that was an issue because I didn't have a lot of sales experience. And I had to figure out how to sell our coaching, our trainings, our team development workshops. And I have input. So I spent a lot of time researching it, reading books, reading articles, and I started to have a better understanding of sales. But I had always, from a young age, from Girl Scout cookie selling times, hated sales. Had a very visceral reaction to the whole thing. And here I am now in a situation where I need to sell But as we learned in other episodes, how our brain works, how our programming in the subconscious brain works, that was a real block for me because I needed to sell things. But on a very subconscious level, my autopilot setting was sales is gross. I feel icky doing it. So that was a big problem for me. And it was something that no matter how much I learned about sales, if I didn't fix that, I was never going to be a good salesperson for my company, for the things that I am passionate about and really believe will help supervisors. I wouldn't be able to sell them because part of my programming was that sales is bad. People don't like it. I don't like doing it. It's a lose-lose. On the other hand, some people are really good at sales. Maybe they've had a lot of sales experience or maybe they are just naturally good salespeople. So if they have a business, or even if they're working on campus, 
and they approach things from a sales perspective, it is easy for them. And their programming, their autopilot, their subconscious doesn't stand in their way. So when I'm talking about a supervisor's biggest problem, the answer is always you. You are your biggest problem, just like I'm my biggest problem. And I know, I know, you're like, Anne. I mean, I'm not perfect. I'll, I'll own that. But really, the biggest problem is Betsy. If Betsy would come in on time, if Betsy would do her projects like she's supposed to be doing them, I wouldn't have all this stress. I wouldn't be running around trying to figure out how to get Betsy to do her job. Well, the thing is, there's probably some of you listening who, when I talked about this Betsy problem, are like, that's not actually a problem. It's really easy to get Betsy to do what she needs to do as you lay out clear expectations. When she doesn't meet those, you talk to her about them, you hold her accountable, and if the problem continues, you free up Betsy for another opportunity, something that's a better fit for her so we can get someone who's a better fit for us. The difference between those two perspectives on this has to do with the individual supervisor. It has nothing to do with Betsy. Yes, in an ideal world, everybody would do exactly what we think they should be doing. But the problem is when we think about our own talent lens, what I think Betsy should be doing may very well look different than another supervisor and what they think Betsy should be doing. So I have learned through developing this business, through processing my last job on campus, and really just doing a lot of work on me, that when I have a problem, the problem, well, just like these quotes, the problem is really my reaction to it, my relationship to it. And it's an opportunity for me to understand what's going on behind the scenes in my brain, in my subconscious brain. Another quote that I think is really apt and really helped me get my mind around this idea, and it did take me a while, I, I don't want to lie, because we are very used to looking outside of us and pointing our figure and saying, that's my biggest problem. No, my biggest problem is that dude, or this thing right here. If this project was done, I wouldn't have these problems. But Jim Fortin says, life doesn't test you, it reflects you. And that's very powerful because we think, oh, I'm really being tested here because Betsy, I already talked to her once and here she is coming in late again. Here's a test. No, it's a reflection that your interaction with Betsy either didn't go as well as you thought it would, which, which may mean you need more practice having those conversations. It may mean, mean that you need more knowledge or more skills around that area. That could be the problem. But could also be, I don't like confrontation, and I don't want Betsy to be mad at me, but I know I need to talk to her about coming in late. So when I do that, I do it in a way that makes it not very clear to Betsy what I want and or what the repercussions would be if she doesn't change her ways about whatever the problem is. And so when this comes up again, it's not a test. It's simply reflecting that maybe I didn't handle that in an effective way, in which case it's not really Betsy that's the problem. Because again, another supervisor who doesn't mind confrontation or has the right skill set, has the right experience to handle the situation, doesn't believe it's a problem. So objectively, the problem is always with us. And again, I know this kind of 
challenging to get your mind around and frustrating too, because again, like most of us have a lot of negative self-talk and we really don't want to add any more to that mix. But I want to be very, very clear that this is not about judgment. And I know when I first started thinking about things in this way, I was kind of judgmental about myself. But remember, all the stuff we've learned about how our subconscious brain works, how a lot of the stories that we have come from our childhood experiences and those people around us and their beliefs and values. And so it's not really us. It's just a collection of things that we, we think is us. So when I'm saying that you're the biggest problem, what I'm saying is that our knowledge, skills, and practice of those skills might be lacking, but there might also be something going on in your subconscious, so your autopilot, that is preventing you from being as effective as you could be because those stories are popping up and blocking you from reaching your objectives. And in this case, this hypothetical case, it's getting Betsy to come in on time and not even getting her to do it because ultimately we cannot control other people. Not even through motivation, like, oh, if I just motivate her right, she'll come in on time. No. The only person we can really manage full time, and I hesitate to say have control over because, you know, philosophically, can we really control anything? But we're not going down that rabbit hole. But the only person you can really, again, manage is you. So when these things pop up, these things that we have until now associated with being external problems in our lives that are really throwing things off the rails. Oh my gosh, I had a great day planned, bippity boppity boo. And here comes Betsy, late again. Now my day's ruined. Instead of using our energy to be angry at Betsy and spending the day dwelling on it, instead of being angry at ourselves for not being able to better understand and manage that situation, let's look at it in a very neutral curious way. I wonder why I have such an issue talking to Betsy about her performance and looking back at ourselves and seeing that as an opportunity for growth. And of course, right now, we're fingers crossed coming out of the pandemic, but we're still very, it's a very chaotic time. Enrollment is down all over the place. So we're all worried about that. We're worried about retention lot of stress in higher ed. So it's really hard to be excited about all these opportunities for growth. And that being said, we probably all have lots of opportunities for growth, but we don't necessarily have the bandwidth right now to address them all. Then the question is, well, what do we do? Because we have very limited energy, because a lot of us are stuck in fight or flight, which again, listen to some of those episodes on stress, on self-care, Because the more you can take care of yourself and knock yourself out of that fight or flight response, the better you're going to be at just being a supervisor in general, but also you're going to open yourself up to allow more growth in your life because you cannot be in that fight or flight defensive mode and be in growth at the same time. It's physiologically, biologically impossible. But back to this. When we get frustrated slash angry 
about something that we feel like is this external thing that's really ruining our lives or at least ruining our day, we have this visceral response and a lot of energy is often directed towards that external problem. Blankety, blankety, blank, that Betsy. And going around talking to other people about Betsy, not, not of course, like, you know, in a venting kind of way, not like talking to the people that you supervise, you know, other people in the office, but, you know, you go to your supervisor and you're like, oh my gosh, Betsy, again, she's late, da, 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 going to HR, all that jazz. So, and, and I will say that, you know, that's what HR is there for. And if you're truly having an issue with, with a staff member, especially one that it's obvious they need to go, then of course you need to talk to HR. But in general, we spend a lot of our energy and time just being frustrated, being angry, venting about it, which keeps us in this victim mode. And when we do that, not only are we spending a lot of time with our energy directed towards this, again, other person, project, that sort of thing, we're not really solving anything. And that's all energy that's not being spent on the things that we need to get done. So if we can reframe it, when we see these opportunities for growth, again, that we've previously, and I still, you know, I'm still a work in progress. I'm still, you know, I get frustrated at other people, other things, and I have to remind myself like, okay, well, what is this really coming from? It's some sort of story or belief or value that I hold that I think is me, but oh, wait, it's not really me. It probably maybe came from someone else that I I now feel like it's mine because I've just been living with it forever, but it's not serving me. I need to address it. I need to go to the heart of it. So if instead of just getting frustrated at that external thing, we're curious with ourselves and ask the question, where is this really coming from? Identify, like again for myself, like, oh, I'm now remembering when I was a Girl Scout and I would go knocking door to door. I felt like I was going to die slash barf slash whatever because I hated it so much. And so when I think about marketing, when I think about talking to people directly, that same reaction that I had when I I was a little kid bubbles up and immediately sends my whole body into fight or flight. So once you've identified that, like for me, I'm like, oh, well, that's that's not really good because I have a business and I need to sell some stuff. So for me, what I did, because again, I'd already been doing the research, you know, and had some people that have been mentoring me in sales. I went and got hypnotized and through hypnosis, overcame that visceral childhood response of, ew, sales, gross, Uh, don't make me do it. Mm." And really just after one session, that was gone. And I'm still in the process of learning more about sales and becoming better at it, but I'm no longer held back by that story about myself being bad at sales, hating sales. That's no longer there. So when you identify something, then you actually can change it. And, you know, for me, I went with hypnosis because I figured that was the fastest way to change the programming with that particular thing. But you can also set up new habits and you may need to bolster that with learning new skills, getting new bits of knowledge to help you do those things. Because if you're really bad at confrontation slash don't know how to be assertive, you haven't been practicing being assertive, 
So you probably don't even necessarily know what it looks like. So you are going to have to get additional information in conjunction with going to the root of this problem and switching your subconscious programming, which I realize, of course, seems like a lot. But again, would you rather spend the energy on that, which actually is going to fix your problem versus just being angry at the external thing that you think is the problem. Like there's still, you're still expending quite a bit of energy, but one is not productive and one is productive. And I will say that when I worked on campus, I was almost always, my job was in res life. And in my last job, and I was there for 12 years, I was in charge of the res hall. I know a lot of places have some sort of time frame where you can do room changes. And, you know, everybody has different policies, but my policy was no room changes unless you've gone through mediation. Because to me, you know, and I get it, like I, I had my share of bad roommates, I had my share of good roommates. And when you're in the position of, ooh, I don't like this, it feels icky. My thought was, if I had a different roommate, this would all be different. But in reality, especially looking back, I wasn't good at communicating. Wasn't good at communicating my needs or emotions. Oh, I'm frustrated with this situation. I didn't know how to do that. So my hope was I would just be paired with this new wonder roommate and everything would be solved. But who's to say what roommate you're getting? Even if it is, oh, this is my best friend. I love them. It'll be perfect. I mean, I think many of you working in Res Life know what happens when two best friends live together. You know, 50% of the time, it's terrible. And that's a statistic I just made up. But, but often, two people who, oh, we get along so well when we don't live together. Let's live together. Oh, that's very different. The point being, I didn't want to move people because as far as I was concerned, all I was doing was moving a problem. And how was I to know? Like, what guarantee could you give me that in this new situation, you're suddenly going to be able to communicate with your roommate. And again, definitely, there are times when you need to move people, like it's a bad situation. But if you can't even communicate basic things to your roommate, like I'm not even willing to go through mediation, then what you're telling me is, I'm not willing to try to communicate with my roommate. So dot, 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 if you move me, there's the potential for that exact same problem to come up. So, and that's just, again, to illustrate kind of this idea that we are our own biggest problems, but again, I am not saying this with judgment about myself or about you. It's because of the way that our brain works. And it's because, like we've talked about in other episodes, we have these stories, we have these limiting beliefs, we have this programming, whatever you want to call it. It's things running on our autopilot that put us into these situations that we then feel like we can't adequately address. But that is not us. That is stories that we have taken on without clarifying them, without changing them to help us reach our goals. Let's change that autopilot setting into something that's going to serve us and help us be less stressed, and help us reach our objectives instead of wasting all that energy being mad at external things that, yeah, that can be irritating, but 
with the right story and with the right knowledge and with the right skill set, you would have no problem dealing with. And that's why, you know, when we talk about our trainings, when we talk about our, our approach to coaching, yes, absolutely. We use the strengths framework, but we also take a holistic approach because it's not just about learning basic supervisor skills. That is definitely part of it, an important part, and one that many of us have been deprived of. But secondarily, and maybe not even secondarily, just equally as important, is identifying our stories and changing them so that we can be successful and stop blaming ourselves and move forward in a positive way with the skills, the stories, practice, and the knowledge we need to be successful. So hopefully you found this really helpful. And again, when I first heard about this concept, was learning about it, it took me a while to really kind of wrap my mind around it because it seemed kind of foreign to me. But once I got it, it made a lot of sense and it made me feel empowered because no longer was the solution to my problem, all of that in quotes, fixing Betsy. Instead, it was, how can I change the story that I have? What additional skills or knowledge can I obtain to fix it? Because that's something I can control versus this external thing. So it's actually very empowering once you kind of free yourself from the judgment, especially of, you know, some stranger saying, oh, I'm my biggest problem, man. Thanks a lot. Like, I don't have enough things to worry about. It's not like I'm stressed already. I hear you. But once you get this, it actually gives you the ability to make the changes that not only is Becky not going to be a problem, again, in quotes anymore, but anything like that is not going to rattle you and going to stress you out. Because if you approach it the, the way we're used to approaching it, you handle Betsy's situation, however good or bad that goes, we're done with Betsy. But then, you know, there's always another Betsy. There's always a similar situation that our stories come back. Our lack of knowledge in that area comes back to haunt us. So by addressing the root of the problem, we fix not only the thing in front of us, but anything like it for the future. And that's a much better use of your energy than just trying to deal with Betsy. Okay, so until next week, stay strong. Thanks for listening to My Circus, My Monkey. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as other episodes on our website www.strengthsuniversity.org slash mycircus If you found this podcast valuable, please share it with your friends and colleagues so we can empower and support supervisors everywhere. Finally, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. As always, Alicia and I are here to support you as you reflect on where you are and where you want to go. One great way to invest in yourself and your team is to join us for the summer cohort of the Supervisor Strengths Institute. We are revamping the Institute this summer to make it even more manageable for your busy schedule. It is the same great content, but we've condensed it so you can work through each week's modules and start implementing change even faster. We know that life can too easily get in the way of you staying on track, so we've also added a bonus 
For everyone who completes all eight weeks of learning, you will get an additional 60 minutes of our time, and you can use that for more individual coaching, a short team session, or to receive a discount on a longer team workshop. Our Summer Institute starts on May 28th. Go ahead and register now. Check it off your list. We want you, your team, and your students to shine their brightest. And that starts with you. So join us for the Summer Institute using the link in the show notes. Or if you have questions about the Institute or other services, contact us at Anne, and that's A-N-N-E, at strengthsuniversity.org. Thanks for listening to My Circus, My Monkey. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as other episodes, on our website, www.strengthsuniversity.org slash mycircus. If you found this podcast valuable, please share it with your friends and colleagues so we can empower and support supervisors everywhere. Finally, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.